Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 94 of Yogaland. Today, I'm excited to share with you our first live episode. We did it, success. It really wasn't that complicated, but you know, for me, it took me about a year of thinking about it to actually do it. So this, our first one, I'm saying that because I hope there are many of them. Our first one was recorded at Love Story Yoga in San Francisco with Jason's group of teacher trainees, which was really fun. And I think they enjoyed it. You will hear some oming in the background at one point. It's not us. It's actually the yoga class right on the wall across from us. And you might hear, I don't know, some some chitter chatter, some live laughter, some joy, I hope. Anyway, the focus of this episode is manual adjustments and the paradigm shift that Jason feels needs to happen in the world of adjusting or hands-on assisting our students. And I just wanna make clear, because I think after this, after we did it live, a lot of students were kind of questioning whether Jason thinks hands-on adjustments are still valid, and he does. I'm the skeptic. (laughs) I'm the one in the couple who is more skeptical about it. And I think that's simply because I have a very just sensitive constitution. You can like blow on me and my hamstring will, you know, snap. It was helpful for me to have this conversation because I, I think I've forgotten what it's like to be a newer student and new to all these shapes and poses and how helpful it was to have that, that outside touch when I was first practicing to help me get into the shapes more efficiently and just in a better way proprioceptively. So that's it. Actually, before I start the interview, if you would like to be a part of Jason's teacher training, there's still spots open in his London training that's coming up in April. It's April 16th through the 28th at the Tri Yoga Studio in Camden, in London, the Camden neighborhood. I made a little bit.ly link so you can find the workshops page more easily. So you can go to bit.ly slash Jason Yoga Training if you wanna learn more. So it's all one word, Jason Yoga Training. Okay, onward with the interview. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. It's our first live podcast. It's true. We're here at Love Story Yoga. In San Francisco, California. With about 50 students. Yep. Watching us talk to each other, which is, you know, where you have to be like in this tunnel. We're in a tunnel. We're in a tunnel. And we're going to talk about manual adjustments today. Yeah. Before we have this conversation, I want everyone to know that I am also going to talk to a few women who wrote some essays for Yoga Journal. Mary Taylor, who is Richard Freeman's wife, Alana Zabel and Judith Lassiter. I'm going to do a panel conversation with them this week to talk about the Me Too movement and the essays that they wrote for this month's Yoga Journal, which is the March issue. Go pick it up if you haven't already. So we're not really going to be talking about the ethical part of manual adjustments today, correct? We're doing more of like how to, why do we do them, what the approach is. Yeah. And we will talk about some things that I think are more appropriate and less appropriate, but not having to do with ethical considerations, more having to do with efficiency conversations and safety conversations. Yeah. But no, so 
you're going to have that conversation with I'm that. I'm going to have panel. that conversation with women. And essentially, I want to. <laughs> totally, which you should, which you should. Yeah. And then also, what we'll talk about is going to be much more, yeah, just about scale and efficiency and approach. And our assumption is that we are starting from the groundwork that any adjustment that is given that we're discussing is already clear and full of boundaries and with people that, that, that know and trust each other and there's clarity amongst those roles. Right. Okay. Totally. Okay. Yes. So we're having the easy conversation. Yes, we are. But it is still a really, really complex topic. Super complicated. I am sort of at the point in my practice where I don't want anyone to touch me. Me so too. So it's good to have a conversation like that with someone like me because I'm super skeptical. Skeptical. And also, you wrote a blog post that I think we will be able to have up right around when this episode airs. Yes. So that'll be kind of complimentary if you want to go online and look at that. And in the blog post, you start out by saying that I think you, you feel like there needs to be a paradigm shift. I do. Overall. I do. So can you speak to that? Yeah. So let me start by saying this. I still believe in the incredible value of manual adjustments. And I've started to think about them much more as manual cues. I think about them just like a verbal cue. To me, a manual adjustment is just using a physical resource to educate a body about how to produce action within a pose. And the nice thing about a verbal cue, and again, I feel like I'm going to keep like saying the same thing. We are assuming that there is clarity amongst the relationships in the parties, mm -hmm. right? And there's boundaries. That it's appropriate. That it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So the nice thing about a manual adjustment is that it cuts out the verbal centers. Because here's the thing. Mm -hmm. If I give you a verbal cue, I mean, I'm going to spend the rest of the, pro the, the conversation telling you pretty much like what I think are the problems. So I figure I start with what I think is the value. Okay. Right. So the thing is, if I give someone a manual adjustment, I am cutting out the need for the verbal centers of the brain to process and relate that information and make it physical. If I say ground the thigh bones, you have to hear those words. You have to know what those words are. And then you have to be able to send that to the thigh bone and reproduce that action. Yeah. You actually have to have the proprioception to be able to like find your thigh bones right. and move them in the correct direction. And the thing is, is that the nice thing about good manual adjustments is that they're going to facilitate proprioception, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Which is one of the reasons where I think we're having a conversation at a relatively, I don't mean this age. I don't mean this like as some sort of superiority thing. I think you and I have very mature experiences in the yoga practice because we've done it for a long time. And so you and I have developed so much proprioception in our bodies that I think that we have a lot of clarity about how to produce actions and feel things. And in a lot of ways, I think that the manual adjustments for us at this phase are less valuable. So again, I, I, I think that manual adjustments still have potential utility mm -hmm. and I don't want to just sort of negate them. Mm -hmm. But here is the main essence of the paradigm shift that, I, that I'm trying to facilitate, right? I'm trying to facilitate it here in this training and, and sort of everywhere I go and for listeners, which is, is that number one, I don't believe that in a manual adjustment, there's much value in stretching your student's body more. 
I don't think that we're stretching machines. I really don't. And I don't think that we should put ourselves in a situation where we're using our body to exert leverage on someone else's body to make the mobile part more mobile. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we really need to shift to is a paradigm in which the majority of the manual adjustments we provide are helping to create more grounding and helping to create more steadiness and helping to create, for those of you out there that, that sort of understand what a fi- the fixed point of a joint is and the mobile point of the joint is, we're trying to help anchor the body and fix the fixed part, the immobile part of the body, so that the mobile thing can move more on its own. Mm-hmm. I'll give some examples of this. Um, Why don't you give one now? We'll start with it, right? So yeah. The one I start with in all my trainings is because I feel like it's so it's such a good place to start is let's imagine someone is in wide-legged seated forward bend, Upavishta Konasana. To make it really simple, you have something that is largely fixed, which are the thigh bones. Now, there's some rotational elements of the thigh bones, but let's forget that nuance. The thigh bones are fixed. They're in contact with the ground. And then the two mobile things are the pelvis is rotating forward over the femurs and the spine is rotating forward over the pelvis. So the fixed component is thigh bones. The mobile unit is pelvis spine. What I don't want to see any more of is additional weight and leverage applied to the mobile stuff. Pressing on the sacrum, pressing on the ribs, pressing on the spine. There can be a little bit of directional motion, like you can sort of maybe touch sacrum or touch ribs and say lengthen here. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, I, I don't, it's not just that I don't think, I truly do not believe that it is a sound biomechanical thing to put additional weight, leverage, and stress on the mobile unit. Mm-hmm. It's way too vulnerable. But... If you give more focus and more encouragement for the thighs to root down into the floor, then the pelvis can rotate over the thighs more on its own. Mm -hmm. So that's always what I'm going to want to do. Give more stability to the stable part so that that body is freer to move more on its own rather than add more motion and produce the motion from my leverage. Mm-hmm. I, don't think it's, I don't think it is a sustainable long-term way of working with bodies. Yeah. When I was thinking about this conversation yesterday, I thought to myself, I wonder how many other disciplines, like physical disciplines, require your trainer touching you. So I grew mm. up doing ballet, mostly ballet, other kinds of dance too, but mostly ballet. And the touch was what I would say is pretty inappropriate now. Like, I mean, they really did hit us, (laughs) but they would like hit you in the area that they wanted you to lift or hit you just to kind of, again, it was like really a proprioceptive kind of smash. Sure. But otherwise they had to describe everything verbally or demonstrate it visually. I don't know about sports. The only thing I know about sports is like when you see the trainers on TV, stretching the football players on the side of the field, 
Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, you know, in martial <laughs> arts, there's sparring. So there's a lot of contact, but that, but that's a contact. Like that's a, that's an interactive sort of combat mm-hmm. contact thing. I mean, um, did your hockey coach? No. No. So it's kind of interesting when you think about it from that perspective. Like yeah. really, really, why are we doing this? You know, yeah. traditionally, I, and I don't know that far back in the tradition. I don't really know past Patabi Joyce and Iyengar. I don't know how Krishnamacharya adjusted. I could probably ask Kate Holcomb to, you know, find out. My, don't mean to offend any Ashtangis, but I, I think that the, the uh, Iyengar tradition has a healthier more, it's more focused on the grounding and the proprioception. Whereas my experience with the Ashtanga tradition was very much getting you into a shape. That's what it was for. It was to get you. I mean, I remember my teacher sitting on my back and putting my legs over my head. Totally. So like, I don't know when I think about it from that perspective, I feel like how judicious do we need to be when we're walking around the room? I mean, how, like how necessary is it really? Well, just let's let's also offend the Iyengar community while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> so there is some of that, but there is also a lot of hitting. Iyengar had a quote: yeah. "Hit someone, see how they respond. Talk to someone, see how they respond, and you'll figure out which way they're going to respond better." Mm. So, and that's more of a paraphrase, but that is that's pretty built in. There's a lot of hitting, and in, in, in certain traditions of the Buddhist lineage, seated meditation, you're hit with switches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm not an advocate for these things, but, <laughs> but, you know, these are also, I, I, I don't want to get too involved in the extreme, but I'll say regardless of how things have been done and regardless of why things have been done at various times, it's time to update the software. Right. Right. And I think without isolating or castigating other communities or cultures or belief systems, we can say, okay, well, let's stop, let's pause, let's not just do things because they've been done a particular way, but let's have a moment and let's have maybe a reset. And that's where I think about this as a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. I think that there is, I, and again, this so much comes down to belief system, right? And I know that in my belief system, I just don't see much utility to me using leverage to move you another four degrees in a posture. Right. I don't see the utility to it. And I, and I see that there is, I see that there is potential structural compromise to it. And then, you know, we sort of, we said very clearly at the beginning, we weren't going to get into the ethical conversation, but it does start to broach a power dynamic ethical conversation. And I think that not even just the sort of the transference of intimacy and confusion or complication around that, but there is transference of power and yeah. control yeah, yeah, yeah. without a doubt. There aren't that many yoga teachers who don't get a little bit of a sort of an excitement about their students' ability to do something. Hmm. And, and I used to for a long time. Now I just don't care. You mean like, I don't care if someone's flexible or not flexible. It used to be interesting to me. Now it's not as interesting to me. So I do think that there is, there is a bit of, or I will say as someone that used to give adjustments that I used more leverage, there used to be sort of a self-satisfaction that came from sort of 
my inner relationship of having, of using my body to move your body further into a space. Well, and to get them into the pose. Totally. Right. That's what, that's what that paradigm is about. It's that getting them into the pose, it will feel better for them. will be better for their energy moving. will be just that the pose is the, is an endpoint to achieve and that that is important. Right. Yes. So that's where I think there's a shift. Yeah. And that's where we can sort of, we can all step back and say, well, maybe there is some utility in clear relationships and appropriate situations where using a manual adjustment helps directly awaken someone's proprioception so that they can do something on their own. But actually, that's part of the point, which is my manual cue should ultimately be in service of me teaching you to do something. Mm -hmm. And if you can only do something because you have my added leverage, then you ain't doing that thing. And guess what? Then you start to develop a dependency relationship to me. And that's where it gets tricky. Hmm. That's where it gets really, really tricky, where, where students can unconsciously abdicate a certain amount of authority to their teacher And in some ways, the sort of the trip of it is, is that it becomes this unconscious thing, which is where in so many sort of cult-like situations, when you have someone that knows how to manipulate a situation with people that don't sort of understand that. That that's happening. Yeah. And and again, I never thought, I'm going to use myself as an example. I never really thought like, oh, I'm trying to manipulate this situation ever. But it was both kind of fun to like get, it was kind of fun to get people in poses they had no business getting into. It was fun. Mm -hmm. It's like totally fun. I would acknowledge that. And it was satisfying at that phase of my development. And when I saw yoga as like this stretch your body and get into a shape thing, then that was a really satisfying thing to do. Now that's just, I don't actually find it very interesting So it's more that I want to help you be awakened inside your body and not contingent upon me doing that to or for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Observing your students before you adjust them. Yes. So this is kind of, we're walking people through the very beginning of your basic approach to adjustments, right? Yes. So this seems obvious. It seems obvious, but it's not obvious. (laughs) It's kind of like, um, God, you know what? You can't say anything without possibly offending someone. And I feel, I don't want to offend anyone. But like, you know how sometimes people will get food and then they'll put a bunch of salt on it before they taste it? Yeah, at least you, you know yeah, who, yeah. in my life who does that. Right. My best friend does that, you guys. So I yell at her every time. I make <clears> her food <throat> and she salts So it's fine if you want to salt the food. Taste the food first. Exactly. And then add the salt or don't add the salt. Or the 
raw turmeric or whatever. <laughs> Inside joke. I totally love turmeric. I take it every day. I just happen to be making fun of it from time to time. It's a wonderful thing. So this can be difficult, right? This is going to be difficult, which is, and one of the reasons it's difficult is because so many vinyasa classes are just, they're at a speed where there's the, the capacity to actually see and pay attention to what's actually happening. It's compromised. But to me, this just sort of falls under the category of look before you leap, see what you see. Because if I've memorized, which is a phase of everyone's yoga education, if I've memorized a handful of sort of packaged adjustments, then I might try to apply the same adjustment, the same triangle pose adjustment to everyone without actually looking at their body and seeing whether or not this is an appropriate or valuable adjustment for their body, right? And I think it's totally good and necessary to memorize specific adjustments, right? But you have to at minimum see whether or not that applies. And so you want to always at least take a breath or two and look at a body before you try to communicate some, some internalized existing sort of preset to them. How long do you think is a reasonable amount of time? Like, do you think it's reasonable to adjust someone the first time they're in your class? I used to. I don't anymore. That is both a situation of I want to get to know a student's body for a while before I adjust them. And it takes me a while to really see what I to see beyond the absolute raw basics of what's happening. But then also Anytime at this point I put hands on anyone, I want to make sure there's a, there's a known relationship there. Now, actually, there, there might be a rare, a rare exception to that would be giving someone a sort of basic down dog adjustment because I find like down dog adjustments are just so nice. They're like these yeah. universally nice things. And I feel like I can give a good appropriate down dog adjustment to someone, even if I don't know them well. Yeah. So that there are some exceptions to the rule, but that's mostly the rule. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at this point in your teaching, are you more drawn to adjusting a very flexible person or a tighter person or the person in the middle? In the middle. Why? Yeah. Why? Tell me why. Why? <laughs> why? Look at me and say, because you're lazy. <laughs> because the person in the middle is the easiest person to adjust. Okay. They, yeah. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you multiple answers to this, but I'm also being very honest, okay, which I try to do in between my lies. <laughs> okay. No, which is when someone is really flexible, the only good adjustments that you can give them are to help them come a little bit out of the pose. And... When someone is sort of maxed out, unless they're a really experienced level student, they might not understand the value of backing off the pose, in which case it's just so, it's so foreign to be taken out of a pose mm -hmm. or to have sort of some of the intensity decreased, although I believe in it, that to me, again, that's a really hard one to give if, you, if that student doesn't already understand why you're taking them out. It's just going to feel like you're making them do something wrong. Yeah. Then the other thing is the tighter student, like usually the tighter student, what you need to do is you need to get them props. 
right? You need to pull them out. You need to get them props. You need to put your hand on your sh- their shoulder and say, it's okay. Tapping you out, buddy. It's okay, bro. <laughs> I too had two step ladders, seven belts, <laughs> and a little tear in my eye. You know, what's the most, like, I don't know if people that, that are a little more flexible, you might not know this. It's like salt in a wound. When you are a tighter person and struggling, you are upright in everything. Not only, like, not only are you tighter, but you're at a vantage point where you can see how tight you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You have like perfect perspective. And then when know? the teacher comes around and hands you a block, it's like, oh. You're like, thanks. I did that once to a guy, a big burly guy when I was teaching, uh, back when I was teaching. And I just remember never again. He was so shamed. He just, totally. He okay, so that's, so that's the other thing is, I like to help. I really like to help people that are tighter and I really identify with them and I do often help. You know, I also just believe, I don't, I don't want to sound cavalier on this, but I also believe that people that have less range of motion or more restricted range of motion, they don't need to have their hand held through everything. Like, and, right. and if they're struggling a little bit, well, it's okay if they struggle a little bit. You know, that that's part of what this is. This practice isn't about making things easy. It's about developing the capacity to work with all the phases of being. Mm-hmm. So if you're a little tired, deal with that. You're okay. You'll probably survive. The person in the middle is easy to adjust. They're so easy to adjust because you can give them the adjustment that is the, that is sort of the easiest to understand and the easiest to receive. It's sort of like, this is what I think of. I think of, you know, when we watch cooking shows, how all the prep work's already done for the TV chef, Mm -hmm. you know, and a TV chef just has like, throw it in the (laughs) olive oil that, you know, a PA is like, it's perfect, right? Yeah. I can totally do that. I could be an awesome chef if I didn't actually really have to do much. And, you know, and it's sort of, sometimes it's like that with the manual adjustments. It's like, you can be, it's really, you can be a really good manual adjuster if you really don't have to do anything. So. Or if you have an able body that doesn't quite know where to go yet in space. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to diversify when I am doing manual adjustments, but I, I have to be honest that I am most drawn to working with the people in that middle zone the most. And then I have to, to work to spread it out mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. That's something everyone should pay attention to is who in the room they're drawn to manually adjusting. And I think that most people will see it's the, it's the middle, it's sort of the middle range people. Mm-hmm. It's like the Sunday's already there and you just like add the cherry. It's there. Yeah. 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 All right. So just going back to your process, the next sort of thing you talk about is putting out fires first. And in this training, I, I always teach my Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night classes when I'm home. And so I have people from the training assist. And I more or less say this. I say it just if you see anything obvious, like this is a no brainer. Uh, but we need reminders about basic stuff all the time, or at least I do. So this is a no brainer that, you know, look around in warrior two. Do you see some knee in a crazy position? Look around in, in a uh, bridge pose or, or Vidanyarasana. Do you see some arm or some wrist or some knee in some crazy position? Go to that. 
and help that before, you know, you put the finishing touch on someone's drop back, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so more, more is I'm, I'm looking first for, does there seem like there's imminent risk? Not is someone more restricted and could they benefit from some additional support, but like, does it look like there is a problem here? Mm-hmm. Uh, for, I don't remember how, how many years it was. It was at least two or three years I assisted Rodney, Rodney Yee's beginning class on Wednesday morning. And because it was, you know, because it was, it was a, a masterful teacher and it was a long time community. There were a lot of people in the beginning class that had gone for years and there were also beginners. Our job was to help make sure that the beginners, the actual beginners in the beginning class, weren't doing anything crazy. Even once in a while, I can think maybe like somewhere between 10 and 20 times, he would say to me, Jason, go that person right there in, in the middle. I want you to p- politely introduce yourself to them, take them outside of the room, teach them down dog, teach them plank, teach them up dog. I don't care how long it takes and then bring them back in the room. Hmm. Right. So, right. So, right. That was a situation where it it was an extreme enough thing, but to me, he was perfectly utilizing his resources in that situation. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Are there any poses that you used to adjust that you will not anymore? Huh? It's a stump the chump kind of question. no, I I just thought there might be an obvious answer. If not, I have a different question. No, I think the only thing that I work with is that paradigm shift and degree. Okay. I, I, I might, at, once we're done, I'm probably going to wake up at three in the morning and think, Navasana. Yeah. But it's not Navasana. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like you'll still adjust Pashimottanasana. We've talked about it as a group, but... And again, not to go through the appropriate, inappropriate stuff, because that's, that's another uh, piece of content, but... It's harder for me to adjust Pachimotanasana than it used to be because, especially for a woman who is more flexible, Mm -hmm. because if I want to ground the thighs, it's not just that I have to get my hands to the top of the thigh, but it's that because their legs are together, my hands are also more likely to be in contact with the belly. Yeah. And this isn't something that I used to have any reticence around because I've always been really clear about my role in my relationship, but it's something that I don't assume that everyone is as comfortable with things as I am, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I I might be more reticent about that than I, than I ever was just because of hand position, but Mm -hmm. that's it. Yeah. 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 So how about complementing your manual cues with verbal cues? Yes. What What is that about? Yeah. So a lot of times in dynamic, that's all dynamic, but one of the ways to be dynamic when you do an active yoga practice is to cultivate oppositional motions. It's something in my public classes we've been working a ton with. We've been working a ton with the jump back to chaturanga. And when you jump back to chaturanga, like you have all of this weight going back. And so part of your weight has to go the other direction. You have to focus more on bringing the chest forward to complement the weight that's going back. So what I think about when I think about manual adjustments similar to that is if I'm going to use my hands to ground your thighs one direction, I might complement that verbally by saying 
rotate the pelvic rim further forward, narrow the hip points, lengthen the waist, relax the neck, soften the face, relax the jaw. So instead of, instead of I'm using my hands to create that stability and that counterpoint, and then I might use my words. And you're saying it as loudly enough that it's instructing everyone with the words. Totally. Okay. Oh, well, no, this can be, this can be, no, no, okay. no. So this would be a situation. I, I did it loud enough so that I wasn't whispering on this thing, but I might <laughs> just instruct the person. Yeah. Okay. I might ground the thighs and then I might say lengthen the waist. Okay. Rotate the pelvis a little further forward in the pose. If you have the space, let yourself tilt the pelvic rim forward, deepen the breath. Okay. So another example would be something like, it's much harder to describe the adjustment in revolve triangle pose. But let's say I'm given an adjustment in revolve triangle pose where I am giving the pelvis and the thigh bones greater stability. And I'm hugging the top of the thighs towards each other. I may also tell that person, press heavier through your back heel, press heavier through the base of the front big toe, broaden your chest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This would be a situation that's easier to do if you're teaching private clientele, because then you don't have to worry about, about voice. But I've always enjoyed being in group classes where the teacher had the ability to maintain the continuity of the group while also teaching individuals in that room. Yeah. And that's actually a skill level I struggle with. Like I have a really hard time in a big group individualizing things. That's something that I aspire to be much, much better at. You know, that's like a, a working point for me. I never minded when I was in a class if, you know, if people were getting us getting instructions and then so-and-so you know, if Rodney said, you know, Susanna reached through the elbow a little bit more. Yeah. No, I, I like you that. actually learn something yeah, from yeah, someone yeah. else's. Totally. Yeah. From someone else's adjustment. Yeah. yeah. I want to leave some time for questions. You have one more point here that I thought would just be interesting to talk about, which sure. is ask people the correct question. Yeah. Okay. So I think you, I'm certain this is going to come out in the conversation with the panel. I do not ask whether or not I can adjust somebody. I don't ask. Now, I don't think it's right to ask. I don't think it's wrong to ask. I think, it's a t I think this is a belief system. And although I do not ask, I think it is totally reasonable to ask. What I try to do instead, and what we have here at Love Story and, and the other places that I teach, is we have please do not assist me chips. They're actually wooden triangles. But anyways, it's a, it's a marker that you can put on the front of your mat in order to, to opt out of manual adjustments, no questions, for any reason. I think this is a really, 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 really wonderful way. Everywhere I go, everywhere I travel and teach, I'm a strong advocate for this. To me, this makes my job much, much easier. Okay, it makes it much easier. So to the point of this is sometimes teachers will ask their students when they're receiving an adjustment, does this feel good? How does this feel? And I think that, though, that those two questions are, are reasonable questions. 
I just think that they're extremely difficult for people to, for many personality types to answer. Mm -hmm. And I always make the joke, maybe if you're teaching in New York, people will give you an honest answer. (laughs) You know what I mean? But in most situations, that can be a difficult thing. But if you're teaching in upstate Ohio. Oh yeah. No way. Oh no. (laughs) You could hit someone in the back of the head with a block and be like, oh, thank you. That that was, I appreciate that. Especially Cindy Crandall. Yeah, for sure. Especially Jason's mom. Oh, that feels so, oh, that feels so good. Yeah. I love it. It's great. I love it. I think something broke, but yeah, yeah, I guess if if you, if you, you're, you're in charge. (laughs) Um, so what I mean by this is I think if you're going to ask a question with, if you're going to try to get feedback with regards to whether or not some, the the adjustment is working, I think the question you want to ask them is, would you like more intensity or less intensity. Yeah. Because then then you're not putting the student in a situation of confirming whether or not they like this thing. Which yeah. again, which again, some personalities are going to do that just fine. Some people are going to will be able to answer that question easily. Most won't. Yeah. Most won't. I don't think it's a very fair question. So I think a much more fair question is does this intent, does this amount of pressure, does this amount of stabilization feel like enough or would you like a little bit more or a little bit less? Mm-hmm. That then I think is a very, very healthy question. And then it's not just about good or bad. It's about then really helping that, the students understand the proprioceptive value and help sort out, oh, actually a little less, a little less mm-hmm. or yeah. Actually, that's a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And we do that. We do that in a training setting all the time. In a training setting, I think it's really important because in a training setting, you're training, which means you're going to, you should be making mistakes. You, you shouldn't be in a training setting to confirm that you know everything about everything. You should be in a training setting to make mistakes and grow. And so it's, uh, it's the question to ask certainly in, in this to become more sensitized to, uh, to, to how bodies respond. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. To keep up with Jason and his schedule or to find out when new blog posts are published, you should sign up for our newsletter. You just go to Jason's homepage, jasonyoga.com, and you will find a place to sign up. I so sincerely appreciate all of your social media shares of the podcast, your comments, your emails, and your five-star iTunes reviews and ratings. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm